Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, I'm Alan Cumming, and welcome to my shelves. My shelves are sort of a museum of my life. I like to keep things from my travels that are, to me anyway, the very essence of the experiences I've had. Sort of portals, if you will, to a specific time and place. And the inspiration for stories and memories and musings. Here's my little battery-operated fuck box. You press a button and these things happen. Fuck off. Fuck Here's a lighter, one of those ones with petrol in it that you flick up like this, you know. And it's from the Vanity Fair dinner that I went to at the Oscars a couple of years ago and it's got a quote on the side that says as you get older the pickings get slimmer but the people sure don't and today I'm talking to my old chum and cop partner Bojana Novakovic so I have a question for you when you first started yes, performing I mean go away I didn't mean go, go away, away. So <laughs> fucking go hell welcome bienvenue welcome Bojana Novakovic was born in Serbia and grew up in Australia and later moved to the United States of America. She is an actress of huge renown, having appeared in film, television and theatre for the past 25 years. But we first met when we starred opposite each other in the CBS TV series Instinct, in which I played one of those sort of dopey genius people who are brought into the NYPD as a sort of consultant. And Bayana was my hard-bitten, slightly pissed off with me uh, NYPD detective. We had a total hoot. And the item from my shelves that we're talking about today is a Polaroid photograph that Bayana took of me, herself, uh, Dan Ings and Naveen Andrews, uh, two other people in the cast of Instinct. And it was taken at the read-through for the pilot episode of Instinct. And that was a very nerve-wracking um, read-through, let me tell you, at CBS headquarters in New York City in 2017. Bayana, what do you remember about the... Did, they give, did you hear any notes or anything from that first reading? So you must have a different recollection to me because I don't remember notes from the reading. I remember them being freaked out that you and I didn't have chemistry and that the repartee wasn't working and that it wasn't until we had that rehearsal at Mark at Mark's house, the director's house, that they, that they were satisfied. <laughs> Who who are they like Mark and uh, and I, Mark and Mark and Michael Michael, Michael the, producer, the creator the runner yeah yep. yeah what they thought we didn't have chemistry after the first reading no I don't know if that was yeah something like they were really worried about the banter not working and me and you not being on like 
on top of each other's lines and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, we are trained actors. I mean, come on. You're in this really stilted, weird environment around all these big tables. It's sort of like a wedding and you've all got food and <laughs> and you all sit there and they say, oh, don't, this is just a casual thing. It's all just fine. Don't, you know, don't panic. It's yeah, all and just then your agent before, you has, and then before like, has called you going, you might, you know, like you still, like they still ha- have been known to fire people after a table read. And I'm like, I'm 37 well, years old. Yeah, I'm like, I'm 37 years old. Like no one's going to fucking fire me like shut up <laughs> oh my god like i'm not 12 god, it's brutal, my isn't first it? job yeah yeah god that was so funny i had no idea i mean i remember we went to mark's house but maybe it was just i don't know maybe it was some things with the script i can't remember it's sort of funny isn't it when you start a new thing and you've got to sort of uh you've got to get into the groove of it and you just have absolutely no time to do it before everyone is looking over your shoulder and telling you what's wrong with it yeah but i think i think it's really nice to remember that like that every single person who has a role in the creation of it, including actors, creators, writers, producers, they're all just as panicked about their own contribution as we are about ours. <laughs> like they're all thinking, what did I do wrong? Hopefully. Some aren't if they're megalomaniacs. Right. Yeah, but most people yeah. in our profession are always like, oh, it's, it, it's all my fault. <laughs> yeah. I, I never think that. <laughs> well that's why you're no, what do you what do you call yourself international celebrity uh, of world top international Renown- celebrity that's why you're a top international yes. celebrity <laughs> i thought it was so uh funny that just um you know in that show actually it was it was sort of i felt very free like i didn't really i just thought it was so when you're at the center of a storm what everything and you know there was the a new show. It was the first time there had been a gay leading character on network drama, all that stuff. They were, you know, there was a lot going on behind the scenes that I think, I mean, I got as an, I was an executive producer on it. So I got a little bit of access to a little bit of it, but they still tried to keep it away from me. You know what? I didn't care. I actually didn't care. I just thought this is fun. I'm doing this. It's not brain surgery. You know what I mean? We're not going to, we're not solving cancer or curing cancer. We're just here to, it's like a dopey cop show, but with really fun and bright and sort of witty things in it. Just let us do it. Yeah. Well, I, I had a different perception of it, Alan. I took it very seriously. (laughs) It was literally, (laughs) look, I can see your eyes rolling already and the set dynamic coming back. (laughs) I notated all my, because you know why? Because you're very good at that stuff and that's not my forte like I'm great with the drama and the theatrics and like I love comedy but I love comedy without a script I love improvising I like you know being Mm. goofy but when it's a script I'm like okay what's the comedic timing how many seconds between this and this word what's the intonation (laughs) like I'm like (laughs) oh my god yes (laughs) I'm like Andy Kaufman when he was a kid on his bed yeah it's a science and you're like at work going, I'm having a break from everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do remember. I think we do actually approach work in a very, very different way. And I think that was kind of what made it so fun and what actually was did make our chemistry on screen really good because we were sort of, you know, quite antagonistic in our as characters in the show, but also we really had a laugh and loved each other as well. Oh, I know. I loved giving you shit. You, me, you about your age, and you, what did you give me shit about my sex life? <laughs> yeah, I was just a, I was just feeling that you should have been having a more healthy and uh, you know in the prime of your life you should have been having more sexually more sex. active. I'm always telling people I think they should be more having more sex. I am. My it was so funny. My my oldest assistant Jimmy 
and his roommate Will, like I used to get onto them all the time. I said, like, "You boys, like you're in your twenties. What the hell is going on? You should, you're in the prime of your life. You should be out getting sex, much more sex than you're having." And they started to go, "Oh, I had sex with blah blah." And I, said, I don't need to know the details. Go, a couple of weeks ago, I had sex. I'm like, "Oh, that's just don't, no. You've got the wrong end of the stick." Yeah, I don't want to, to impress, actually cut you to catalog. You. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's for their own good. <laughs> now, this photo, it's a, I, I think it was such a lovely thing to do. It's a Polaroid. Of course, people don't really have Polaroids anymore uh, so much. I think that it's, think there's a, it's a lost, because it's such a lovely thing to have a palpable thing and not just like a photo in a frame. It's like a little sort of thing you can carry and you can just move it around. And I, I love a Polaroid. I think it's a really great sort of uh, way to hold a memory. Um, and I miss them. And so why were you, are you, because you are a very uh, good photographer. You've taken some beautiful pictures of me, if I say so myself. <laughs> yes, I have. You're a beautiful subject, Alan. <laughs> Thank you. I wasn't pushing. So if, if you're, you're, tell us about your photography oh. interest and slash career. Well, I do want to add that I'm holding a Polaroid of you and myself right now from our first from one of our first days of shooting that 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 first pilot that first episode i have one as well where i'm, ah. I'm blowing like i'm i'm pouting a kiss near your ear and you're looking straight at the camera with the right side of your lip raised and it looks great oh. it's very very cool it's very cool um so i have that in my wallet what like an elvis sort of thing yeah like an elvis sort of thing exactly but you don't look like elvis you look better um, uh, i look like that weird little man that i was so that's so nice so you, why do you carry that I just I really like it and I've always I don't know why I mean I don't know it's just there it's there with a picture of myself and Jacqueline I've got two Polaroids in my wallet it's just mm. always sat in there because normally I give them away but I guess I wanted to keep that one mm. hang on hang on a second you asked me about my photography <laughs> yeah I was going to ask you more about it I was going to veer you back to veer the subject me back. Um, well my parents <laughs> gave me a camera when I was 12 and I started taking photos when I was very young and it was something that I did all my life. And at school, I would spend all of my free periods, because we would have these free periods when we <clears throat> weren't in class, developing black and white mm. photographs in the dark room. And I had my own projector and I did a whole bunch of um, stuff. And then over the years, I just kept taking them and taking them and taking them and kind of learned a lot and read a lot about photography, different cameras. I bought different cameras. I lost some cameras. You know, you left, left them on the streets of New York. And mostly I was doing film cameras. Oh. And then at some point when the um, Canon uh, 5D Mark II came out, because that's a full frame, it's a really beautiful camera, I bought that. Uh-huh. I've had it for 10 more years. Um, and I'd never exhibited my photos ever. Um, but I went to Nepal after the earthquake. And, of course, I took my camera because oh, I was yes. working with these women who yes. I'd met yeah, who are mountain climbers. You know, you, you we did a fundraiser for them. Um, yeah, how, so how did it all come about, I, I that part, take, the Nepal connection? The Nepal connection came about because my beautiful friend Joel Edgerton introduced oh, me him. to the Seven Summits women. I know, me too. Um, introduced me to the Seven Summits women who are a group of seven Nepali girls who were the first female team to summit Everest successfully, the first female team to summit Everest successfully, and then to summit mm. the highest peak on every continent. And, um, and I got to talking with them. They stayed with me for a little while in, um, in LA and stuff like that when they were raising money for their Antarctica climb. And I got to talking with them about a lot of the work that they were doing. And two of them were doing this, these rehabilitation work with sex trafficking survivors in Nepal. And, yeah. um, and I knew that once they finished their climbs, they wanted to sort of, they established a group 
that works on that and that's all they do. So they, they teach these women who have either come back from India or escaped their fate, um, they teach them sort of mountain um, mountain skills, climbing skills. They give them, they rehabilitate, like part of their rehabilitation is reacquainting them with the land and things like that. And with a view to them, like getting jobs as yes, guides or, yes, or just yes. to, yeah yeah and a few yeah that's exactly right and if nothing else then it's a then it's a reconnection with the land and then um yeah but yes it's part it's part of a, a larger program that um a foundation called mighty nepal has for them and um and they were working on that and i i said to them oh, i'll come and you know once you guys are done and at this and this time i'll come to nepal and i'll you know i'll, I'll work with you guys and see what you need and see how we can raise awareness and, and raise some some funds and things like that and then the earthquake hit. So right. all of the girls actually went, I think four of them were employed by the UN to, do the, to work on the UN food program to deliver food to areas that were affected by the earthquake that were impossible to get to. So they would literally like mountain, they, they would like climb and, and hike basically to these really remote areas. And then another couple of them actually decided to stay in one of their villages and help the population there. And so Joel and I sort of spoke and we got some money together and I went over there and we, um, I, I worked with them on rebuilding some schools and um, just getting some. And what do you mean? Like what, what did you I mean? Actually physically working? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, physically working. Yes, yes. I do physical labor. Yes. Yes, I'm capable. Um, and so I lived with them for like three or four weeks, I think, <laughs> I over there. And I took a bunch of photos because we're talking about my photography. But yes, it definitely, it definitely does. Um, uh, there's a great kind of cross-sectioning of these stories. So, but And while I was there, I was writing to friends of mine in the US saying, hey, like, this is what's happening here. If you're going to donate money to somewhere, donate it, donate it here because I know where it's going. I can see who it's going to and, you know, there's, there's just so many problems with um, bigger NGOs wasting money on admin and all that stuff. And we ended up raising yeah. hundreds of thousands of dollars for these, for the, for these projects, which, which encompass seven schools, food programs for those schools, right. teachers, all this stuff. It was really beautiful and it's still going. So one of the two of the schools are sort of still going because the girls realize, oh, this is actually an opportunity for us to improve the education in these remote areas. So some of those projects are, God bless them being funded by by um, still being funded by some some of the people who were interested in in helping us um, initially, and that's great. The photos, the photography, and what you asked of yes. my photographic career, which I never wow, planned. I love you. Like, look at the look at the scale of bringing this story back around. I never planned love to it. have, but when I returned to LA, because I went there a couple of times, so when I returned to LA, I showed the photos to John Papsidera, who's actually a wonderful casting director, and he has a little gallery. He's obsessed with art. He has beautiful art. And we sort of agreed, I don't know whether it was his idea or my idea, but to exhibit some of these pictures from Nepal. But he has a very intricate sense of art and aesthetics. And so we actually agreed that the photos, the exhibit would be of photos that actually made the area, like the beauty of the area, rather than like, your typical like oh you know people without homes and this like this sort of kind of poverty porn I hate right. you know pictures I love yeah, taking yeah. photos with lots of yeah. color and a lot like a lot of color and they're very fantasy like the pictures that I like to take 
but they're real people and real real landscapes. And so we mm. chose these pictures that really show the beauty of the place and the different colours and, and, and the, the rice fields and the way the people are within the landscape. And, um, and we raised a lot of money just through the, that exhibit. And so that was the first time I exhibited and then some gallery owner from LA saw those pictures and then wanted to give me an exhibit and then started representing me. And then, and then I realized that like he and the art world is not for me <laughs> because it's just so brutal and strange and corrupt and weird. And I didn't like working with him at all. And he said that he would donate money, the, you know, for every thing that he sold and he never did. He, in fact, didn't even pay me. He didn't? Oh, he owed me money and then, yeah, and I actually just – and then actually I left, got the money that he owed me because he sold a bunch of my works to, you know, his uh-huh. rich clients. And um, I got the money as quickly as I could, got out of there, and I found out that the gallery went bankrupt and he owes artists thou- like <gasps> hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So you're lucky to get the money. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I donated every like my, the money that so I made funny, you know, was donated because my... I can't, I didn't want to make I don't want right. to make money out of something that I actually like enjoy doing. Like to me, you know how m- m- many photos I take. It's like a third limb. It's just something I do. And right now I'm yeah, even editing yeah. a documentary about my aunt, and a lot oh, of the material. The one about, oh, I love this story. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the material is like 20, 30 years old from when I was a kid filming her. And I didn't even know that I would ever use it in a movie, but I've just always had a camera. You know, I've always, whether it's a camcorder right. or, a, or a film camera or my, I've got two cameras here with me. I'll take photos of us um, when we get out. Um, I've always had it. So it's never, never something I wanted to make money from. So I'm intrigued by that. Like you don't want to make money from things that you work, that you enjoy. No, it's not that. I mean, you don't enjoy acting. No, 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 I do enjoy acting. It's not that. It's more the fact that, like, I didn't want to make money from taking pictures of people in Nepal and their landscape and that Uh, stuff. I get that that part. That felt really ridiculous. It's just that. No, I'm more than happy to sell some of those pictures of you to someone. (laughs) 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 If you find me a buyer. You know, remember when we were felt so I should tell people that so uh, there was a mag a German magazine shown, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Wanted to do an article about me. Oh, and they wanted you to interview me. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And then you and you and you were going to do the photos too. So we did a weekend up at my house in the Catskills and, and Bayana had brought all these voluminous dresses yes. for me to wear. And we sort of talked about doing them in the water. And I love the idea. I love being photographed in the water and underwater and everything. And so we we did some like with me wearing all these dresses, it was a bit sort of like Ophelia, you know, that painting of Ophelia with her big long frock. Very, very uh, like that. And uh, we did something in my uh, swimming pool, but we needed more, wanted a different swim. And there was a pond down the hill that um, the the a couple of years before I tried to buy it. It was like a, just a lovely pond. And the man said, and he was asking too much money. And I, I said, oh, I don't want to buy it. And he said, well, just go and swim in it whenever you like. And I said, the only thing I would I wanted to do with that pond was swim in it. And he said to me, I could just go and swim. So I thought, <laughs> why would I want to buy it then? It's so great. It worked out really well. Well, don't touch the bottom because you'll get all the leeches. Oh, the leeches. There's <laughs> leeches in it. Well, that's yes. You just flick them off. So uh, it's a lovely pond, though, and it's just I, yeah, it's it's beautiful. so beautiful. And so we went. I said, let's go down there. So we got in, went into the pond. I had some big frock on, lots of guy liner and lippy 
and was sort of you know flouncing around in, in the water and you were on were you in the water too yes. or were you on the edge yes when we were no I was everywhere and we went to the other side and then I would walk in and walk out we've got pictures I've got photos of me shooting that's you. right yeah so Oh, you did because it was. I really love those pictures. Those are my favourites. Yeah. And anyway, so I, as we were doing it, so and there was Chris, who is your uh, camera assistant at the time, and Grant, my husband. They were kind of with us. I love that. Doing things, and all of, all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden, like a truck comes down the little track, like a big, huge sort of you know country truck, and we were like, uh oh, what's going on here? And Grant sort of said, I'll go in, you know, and I'm in, I'm in the water in a fucking huge dress. <laughs> And you're sort of in with me with snapping away. And we both, we look obviously insane. And, uh, and, um, and Chris has got a screen, you know, one of those big Chris screens. Chris is holding that thing. thing. Grant goes up to them and he's sort of going, um, uh, hello. And the guy goes, what's going, oh, is it Alan? Oh, that's fine. Then. It's fine if it's Alan. <laughs> And I thought it was going to be like a deliverance moment. And all of a sudden, it was like, oh, it's Alan. That's fine. Yeah. Oh, he's wearing a dress, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but I really do love those pictures. And yeah. I loved, you know, what I really liked about uh, it was that you really planned it. You really sort of, you know, you went such great lengths. You're very, well, I mean, that's what you like with your acting as well. And I'm, I'm not. I'm very disorganized. And I mean, I don't really, uh, I, I, I very much sort of wing it. And uh, and I and even actually, I was just thinking about my brief sort of um, skirmish with the photography world. Um, I did I had an exhibition of photographs called uh, Alan Cumming Snaps. That's why my Instagram is called Alan Cumming Snaps because I had a I, I, and I've got I had, I then I had that book of photographs and stories. But I had a my it, it all went sour with the sort of the gallery thing that I was doing as well. I had a very sort of it didn't end well. It felt a bit weird, yeah. and I, was, I, didn't, I didn't like. I, I also didn't like the the energy of that industry. It's so interesting. Yeah, I didn't like the energy of that world at all. No, it's not fascinating. It's weird. Going back to instinct. Oh, uh, we had we had such fun. I we mean, did. I thought there was we had such a laugh on that show, and partly it was because we were sort of running the asylum in a way. Like you know, we we got to like the atmosphere on set was completely dictated. By us, I you know the, we 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 got uh, we had a speaker on the on the dolly, and Edgar, our uh, camera operator, would like you know DJ in between in between uh, takes, and we would dance in between takes every single time, and it was such a fun thing to do. Actually, I mean, I really loved it because I I love just kind of you know having a having fun, and then suddenly you switch off, and now you're really in the zone. And I love that about it. I love kind of relaxing and, and being and right up to the point when I have to be to focus. That's Mel Gibson does that. That's how he is as well. And I remember the first time I worked with him, I was like, oh God, no, no, no. I need to be in my zone. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Go on. Sorry, I interrupted you. But the, I remember. I but remember then you are that. in your zone when you you are in your zone, but just when you need to be. I also, I think it was. I remember when like guest stars would come on and we'd be, you know, like we're doing some scene about a gruesome body who's been, you know, out, taken out of the. Hudson River with its head chopped off or something and we are doing that and then we'll suddenly be like everybody 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 dancing away like the wardrobe people are trying to like do our last checks and we're dancing around I just thought it was so good and people loved coming on our show because of that that sort of atmosphere and I think it made everyone it made such a difference to the mood on the set because everybody danced everyone felt 
not so inhibited in front of each other and everyone talked to each other in a way that I don't think they do normally on sets. No, it was very respectful. And I actually remember that when we did, whenever we did have anyone problematic, they got let go. <laughs> like, like it didn't, we had that's no true. toxicity. Like toxicity wasn't allowed. And I think that's very, that unfortunately that's rare for sets. Um, and it definitely was, um, an amazing experience for me to see that you can make lovely television with lovely people and have a lovely time doing it and that not everything needs yes. to be. Yeah. And, and I honestly, I know that this is your show and you know how loath I am to, to give you too many compliments. Like, but you were a very, very <laughs> I know how much this good... costs you. Whatever you're going to say, I know how much it costs yeah, you. Thank you. <laughs> like you did you facilitated us to be able to do that, right? So if you didn't want, if you hadn't mm. wanted that kind of stuff, it wouldn't have happened because you're number one on the call sheet. That's what number one, that's what, that's what happens. And, um, well, also, I, was, I guess also because I was a producer, I think it's, I mean, I think partly it was that as well. Yeah. There was, I, I would kind of had one foot in both camps. So you're actually able to have a conversation about the mood on the set. And yeah. yeah but, and it was yeah. I just really lovely I mean, to, to me, learn I just from think... you about being a leading man who, uh, does that and kind of takes care of the atmosphere on set just as much as the quality of the work. I really, really appreciate, mm. and I know that I'm getting serious now, but I really appreciate that because it left a real mark on me and I won't like, I hope, I hope I never get anything less. And I hope that when I'm one on the call sheet, I'm never anything less than that. Like you've set a bar no. and I really, really, I really love that. And I really appreciated it. And I know oh, everyone that's else did. Nice. Thanks. Bye bye. That's all right. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to Out to Lunch with me, Jay Rayner, the podcast in which I take a particularly brilliant famous person to a top restaurant and grill them to a turn. In this latest season, you'll find me having delicious dinners with the likes of Patrick Keelty, David Hare, Nina Conti, Dame Eileen Atkins and Mary Beard and the reliably outrageous Miriam Margulies. Richard E. Grant was on that. He has a, a, an always compulsion to smell whatever's around him. Has he never come and sniffed you? <laughs> Probably wisely. No. <laughs> All that and so much more. So do join me, Out to Lunch with Jay Rayner, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Also, I was thinking today how I really like making people um, feel 
sort of lose their inhibitions and to, and to let go. You do. Something, it's and like an thinking, obsession why, of yours. Why, it is. And I'm thinking, why is that? Why do I think? And I think actually it's because I used to feel like that. Mm. I used to be the person who was sort of worried about people judging me about letting singing a song that was a bit tacky or dancing to a, a pop song. You know, I think I was that, mm. I used to be that person. And I think I realized that, you know what? No one cares. No one actually cares. Mm-mm. The only person who cares is you. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, it's so easy to say, but actually, and I think what I do, it's like when I DJ, I always dance. Now I think, why would you, when you go into a club and you, or a party or whatever, and you see the DJ, if they're not dancing, why the fuck should you dance? You know, basically it's, <laughs> it's like saying, you know, uh, here's something I want you to buy, but I'm not buying it, basically. And so I think it's really important to, I, I find it like, I, I, I think it's so fun to, and also getting older, I think that's the thing that you, I also don't give a fuck. You know, you yes, give less fucks as I, you get older. I definitely, you know, I definitely so second that. that. So I have a question for you. When you first started yes, performing... Go I mean, go in. I didn't mean go, go in. So, <laughs> Fucking go hell. Go ahead. <laughs> On your way. Um, when you first started performing, who was it that was watching mm. you? Like not literally, but in your head. Who were you performing for? You know, because there's always that hierarchy. And there's, there's a hierarchy, I think, when you care what other people think, that in the audience is mm. sitting that entity. Who was that for you? <sighs> like a lover, like a lover, or a bo- like uh, you know, like someone that you wanted to be with, I suppose, or I mean, a I, parent, I, or who, who? What was that entity? I think it'd probably be my dad. I mean, my dad was this big sort of shadow over so much yeah. of my early life, oh, and I think I want to go there. you know, I suppose I felt like you know, being I don't know. I mean, I had I had that really weird uh, thing growing up where my dad told me I was useless, yeah. literally, and my mum told me I was precious. Yeah. So I had this really weird thing where I knew they couldn't both be right. But I felt I felt more inclined to think I was probably on you know veering to the useless side mm. for a while for a long time. Um, but I don't know what you know. I had this I had this thing when I was twenty one. So I'd left drama school when I was twenty, and when I was twenty one, I was you know I was working when I got out of college, and I was I did a season of plays at the Royal Lyceum in Edinburgh, and on the last one well, three plays, and in the last one it was called Mister Government. And I remember one matinee. I was doing this uh, scene. I was playing this sort of boy with learning difficulties, and with I was doing a scene with my mom and this woman in the in the in the in the play. And I just suddenly, in the middle of the of the scene, went, "Oh my god, that's what acting's about." Oh, I see. Oh, I've got it now. Mm. And I walked back to my dressing room and thought, "Oh, I see. I was completely barking oh. up the wrong tree." And and it was, uh, you know, and I feel bad for all the people who. <laughs> Paid tickets to see me and things up till then, uh, or uh, you know, and it wasn't that it was really bad, but I could have been so much better. And I, you'd think I would have that epiphany at drama school or something, but no, it wasn't till a couple of years out of drama school. But it was just, it was like a penny literally dropped. Wow. It was just, it was so clear, and it was, it was so much about. I used to think, it's, it's kind of like the thing we're talking about about not caring so much but in a way. But I used to think that acting was all about putting stuff on top of yourself like disguise hiding yourself trying to hide mm. and making up making a new person almost sculpting a new person around you and then in that moment I realized if I just you know felt it and tried to be tried not try to be myself all the time but let myself come through 
um, be authentic, you know, make an authentic person. And I, that's when everything changed for me. And it's, and, and it's you know, it's not, uh, well, I think it's interesting because in America, especially, you know, that whole notion of a movie star is someone who basically is the same all the time. They're a sort of a personality. Yeah. It's the cult of personality is so huge there. It's, it's not that. You are, you know, you can be vastly different and look vastly different. But in a way, you're allowing a part of yourself to come through and you're connecting with the audience as yourself, like as a like the way that human beings connect, rather than trying to obscure your very essence. Yes, yeah, Slavoj so Žižek uh, talked about that. I I completely understand what you're saying because my relationship with that who's probably, that Slavoj Žižek is a is a Slovenian philosopher who teaches, I think, sometimes at NYU. But he speaks about oh. there's a very very funny little thing oh. that he said about how, I mean, look, you'll relate to this as do I that there's a falsity in the real world and you when you go to the theater you go to see truth because that's what performers are presenting to you and it sort of reflects what yes. you what you just spoke about because i do i i i remember feeling kind of odd you know faking it sometimes in terms of performances mm-hmm. when i was younger where whereas of course now you you know that that's kind of what what you need to do yeah. But I but yeah. I was always obsessively searching for authenticity in everything that 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 I did and I think that's kind of hard like to do when mm. you're working on, you know, commercial television in the US. It's just like you're coming to work mm. and you're just having a good time and you're doing that thing. But when you for example yeah. like with the show that Looking I'm cute. about to do and that you're about to be, you know, that you're about to be a guest in, there's you I play a different character all the time. So sometimes I'm, you know, I'm yes. Serbian. Sometimes I'm eccentric. Sometimes I'm quite shy. So it, I play a different character every night, depending on what the guest is going to come in with. Tell us about that, because in case people don't know about the, the 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 blind date project, what what is that? So the blind date project is an improvised hour uh, of a of ostensibly a blind date between me and my, myself and a different performer every night. So the premise is mm-hmm. that I play a character, the other performer plays a character, we meet in a karaoke bar, mind you, to go on a blind date. Um, The technicalities around the show are directions are sent to us via text messages and phone calls by the director. There's no set ending. During the show, During the show. During the show. What happens is entirely up in the air. Because I did it once at Club Coming. Yeah. And it's like, I know it's so like, it's so crazy. Like you walk in, I walked into club coming, you're sitting there and you, that's, I mean, you must've known it was going to be me that time. Did you? Cause it was no, the first I only knew when I saw, coming. when I you saw your husband walking in and I was, re- I was like, did he really have to come ah. in? Right. I didn't know until the moment just before you came in. <laughs> I would have been so shocked. How I had funny. no idea it was you. None. So they walk in and I'm, and, and you've worked on the character with the director uh, in secret. And then <laughs> I, during the course of the play, so you start, you sort of, go and you sort of introduce yourself and you you know you're improvising obviously in like you would on a on a blind date it's so clever and then uh you get a text and you get a call and boyana does too and then you go up and sing a song and and so it's this it's sort of shaped by the director uh from you know as it's as it's happening she's in the audience texting you and everything it's hilarious and sometimes i think at one point she asked me to go outside made a chat outside yeah 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 and i went back in again yeah it's just it's so exciting and it must, it must be, um, I mean, it must be so challenging, but it must be so fun it's for you to be so a, a different person every time. I literally poop my pants before every show and I've done over 150 shows. <laughs> and, but that's, that's, but that's the author. It's a lot of poop, but I'm vegan. It's easy. Um, 
<laughs> but the um the authenticity in that show and sort of you have to come from yourself even though you're not I can't tell my own story every night, right? Nor do I want to because it's all about love, desperation, seeking, you know, seeking intimacy, seeking yeah. partnership, that kind of thing. And it's really exploring desperation in in all its glorious forms. And but I find like I love uh, a drama teacher taught me this actually, Alan. He taught me about going through the entire an entire script for every single line, writing a characteristic that comes out for that line. This is before you do any script work. And then looking at all the characteristics you've written down and choosing the top five and then finding your, looking at those top five and say one of them is like, you know, aggressive and another one is murderous and another one is, you know, fantasy driven or whatever, that you Mm. then explore those characteristics within yourself. And so I love kind of like, looking at a character and going, okay, what are the main characteristics of this person? And then going, okay, when am I, you know, obsessed with fantasy or when am I, you know, aggressive? (laughs) Often. (laughs) (laughs) Murderous. Murderous or whatever it is. You know, what would drive me to that? And then finding those moments and what he would get us to do, and this is in high school, he was amazing. What he would get us to do is do a physical exercise that elicits that characteristic in us, so in Boyana. So, and it was so beautiful. And, um, and so, 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 yeah, I really like doing that. And I like doing that for this show because I, sometimes I have to play like a, um, a math teacher or something. So then I spend the day researching, you know, polynomials or whatever, certain things, you know, <laughs> graphs and just little, like, you know, I make her a high school math teacher, not a math professor. Um, right. Or certain like theorems that haven't been solved or whatever. I research some of that. And then I kind of get into that and I get into the art of mathematics and the philosophy of mathematics or I might talk to my dad or something. And then I play the character. Oh, my God. Oh, I love it. What do you mean, oh, but my see, God? So, I mean, I, no, I just, I just think, like, just listening to you, uh, I feel like such a sort of flop house no, sort of you're person. I mean, I, I, but there's things I have to do, well, there's things I have to research if, if a character does something, you know, some sort of field of work that they're in. Now, obviously, I research a bit about that, but... I'm not, I'm not, we're just working completely different ways. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't write. I mean, I, you I, are the person who played a CIA just... sniper and didn't know how to hold a gun. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was hilarious. Because the thing about, did I tell you this story? That the guy. Sorry. So, well, and also, and also in the second season, I didn't even have a gun. I I'm not having a gun anymore. I don't want to have a gun. I loved so it. we would go into all these, we'd do all these, uh, you know, a big posse of police would go into something holding their guns. And I would walk in as though I had some impervious thing around me, that sort of secret force field that made me not have to have a gun. It was so ridiculous. And I said, I'm not having one. And that's, I also I thought, what are they going to do? Fire me? Yeah. I'm, I'm number one on the call sheet. I don't want to have a gun. But in the first season, when I did have a gun, and I was very, you know, I, I, I didn't want, I didn't want, you know, I, I wasn't, it's not my thing to sort of be in a show where people shoot each other. But the only time I shot my gun was when I shot a glass of iced, uh, poisoned iced tea out of Whoopi Goldberg's hand, yes. thereby saving her life. Yes. I thought that was pretty good. And she but, was fighting to have that, Not she was like, does he really need to shoot it? Can he just say, don't drink it? <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah. <laughs> she was fair enough. She was like, what's going on here? I was like, it's a, it's a dopey movie, Whoopi. <laughs> What 
was our man, our, our police advisor? Jimmy, name? Jimmy, Jimmy. That lovely yeah. man who sh- showed us things. Yeah. Jimmy and ignored. Mike. So Mike was the, the, on, the, on the set and uh, it was one thing, we, we came into a room and went, you know, please freeze or something. I looked across at you yeah. and normally you were like, you know, I'm towering above you. Yeah. Uh, but now you're right at my eye level. I thought, what the hell's going on? Is she in a hole? Did she fall down? <laughs> But actually what it was, because my, my stance was so wide and my gun stance was so wide. My legs were so wide apart. And Mike said to me, I went, oh, gosh, Mike, this is a bit weird. What am I doing? And he went, your uh, gun stance, Alan, it's a, bit, uh, it's a bit Broadway. That's what he said to me. That's so <laughs> I was good. crushed. I was crushed. That's so good. My, I, was, I was very fussy. Oh. I was like, you know, I don't, I don't need a gun. I can just kill them with my dance moves. Oh, my God. That's so good. Do you know how, like, there was an interview that you did. Or maybe it was with me and I had to stay silent when you, I can't remember what it was, but I remember hearing after we shot episode, uh, season two that you didn't hold a gun in season two. And I, uh-huh. I kind of triple took and I was like, I'm the one who didn't want us to shoot for no reason. Why didn't I get to not hold a gun? And then I was like, well, because I played the detective. <laughs> but I remember arguing with Michael. Yeah. It was very funny. I remember arguing with Michael about certain things in the script because, so here's the deal with me doing that job. I didn't know. I didn't know anything about the police force in America apart from the the little bits of of, of racism, little being an, under, right. an understatement. But I but I didn't know that a detective was a police person, right? So I'm like, okay, I'm playing a detective. So I started researching detectives, and then I was like, oh, they're police. And at the same time, I was reading the new Jim Crow at work, and so I was sitting in that police chair. Oh. And there's a whole chapter. <laughs> oh there's a whole chapter on police shows. And how they perpetrate the myth of like the the glor- they glorify the myth of the hero police and da 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 da, da and like how much money is yes, actually yes. spent on violent crime and it's like one percent of a police budget it's really nothing but these these police shows make us think that that's all police do and all this it was like and I just like my heart sank and I was like shit and so any time in the script that there was anything that was a little bit way too glorifying I would go to Michael and I would say oh you know this we mm. just I just I'm not comfortable with saying this like this and he'd just be like. You're playing yeah, a cop. Yeah. Like, what are you on about? I know, I know. And I would, yeah. and I would have these little arguments with him. It was very, it was very funny. And then when, um, when, um, when the the gun thing, when I heard that you weren't you you weren't um, carrying a gun, I was like, God damn it, he doesn't have to carry a <laughs> gun, and I still I'm still stuck with this weapon. I'm still stuck with doing all. But that. you love, but, but you loved all your you loved like having gun. a gun because it added yeah. to your list of props no, that you like. I was just always this is the thing, Bayana. Yeah. Bayana loves props. Like we we go okay, let's go. We'd go to solve some murder <laughs> and go or go somewhere to do something. And uh, it would be like five minutes later, she's still picking up things that she's got on her desk. <laughs> her so keys, true. her bag, her gun, her file, her handbag. It was absolutely <laughs> hilarious. I never had any props. I always kept my hands in my pockets the entire time. I never touched anything unless I had to. It was so hilarious. Well, I think if you can hold it, you can write your lines on the back of it. So that was my... Uh, that. Well, that is it. That was, that was that yeah, trick. Yeah. Tell us the... Uh, the uh, the 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 rap. Okay, so this is this happened when Alan. Do you remember though that we were tasked? So this was like at the beginning of the second season or the first season. I can't remember. You called me and you said, "Friend of mine wants us to write a rap about each other," and I was like, "On it!" And so I wrote two stanzas, <laughs> and then you wrote one. Who I don't was know if, that? I don't Who was know. It? We were supposed to record a rap with some friend of yours. So here is mine. Oh. Uh, and it's a little okay. bit. So I did it in a in a in a Yana Novak voice, which is a 
European yes. voice because, of course, that's the only way it rhymes. So it goes like this. <clears throat> What does he rate? He so appreciate, definitely not straight. He's Alan Cummings, but without the S. I really need to stress. There is no fucking S. It's Alan Cummings. Alan Cummings. <laughs> That's so good. What was my one? I can't I know, remember I remember it. your one. It goes... I know what you're oh, saying. Is she Serbian or Australian? But all you need to oh, know, yes. bitch, she's Bojana Novakovic. Kovic. Oh, that's good. That's right. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I know what you're saying. Is she Serbian or Australian? But all you need to know, bitch, she's Bojana Novakovic. Oh, hilarious. Yeah. Who was it that asked us to do that? I couldn't hear when you said that before. A friend, a friend of yours. I don't know. You, you, Why? You messaged me. I can't remember. I mean, we you look at the first messages you ever sent me if you've still got the same phone. I don't mm. remember. And you said, you know, are you into that? And I was like, of course I'm into that. Let's write a rap. Because he was doing like there was he was pairing up people to do raps and you were like it would be really cool if the two of us did it because we're oh, we're doing yes, this show together something was that cause was but, I then can't it, but then it so the, hilarious the date got delayed again and again and again and then yes. we just ended up making that was our thing on set our little yeah. everybody did it didn't they yeah that was our little thing all you need to know bitch by Anna Novakovic is that it's uh, time to go now and I want to thank you so much for this Chip down memory lane and uh, I love this picture it's such a lovely memory because it was like our first day of a really lovely experience two seasons of um, such fun and japes and really lovely people and I look back on it with such fondness even though we got cut off in our prime by the it was so fun terrible sort of machinations of network TV it's so silly all right boy boy thanks so much for doing this thanks for taking that photo I hope we made you do another photo shoot I'll get dressed in a in a lady's item and a bit of lipstick and well I've got listen I've got some pretty cool cameras here with me I'll come I'll come and take photos of you um at um club coming and stuff during the Oh, we, oh yes, yes, yeah, do that, yeah. or else we could go in our um, cars. Oh, in our cars, and uh, we can go you're somewhere. You're going to have a car with my face on it. I know. Do you know I'm that def- your car you that you're getting yes, has got yes, my face on it? I know, I know, I know. It's painful. <laughs> it's painful, but I'll live with it. <laughs> I was like, what? I said because we get free cars from the festival, get Lexuses because they're sponsoring this festival. And I was like, I do. I am not driving a car with my face on it. So my one doesn't have my face on it, oh. but yours does. Damn, I would so I mean, it, drive so a fuck fuck car with my face. Why didn't they put my face I on your car? Just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right, lovely. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. Lots Thank of you love. very much. Bye. Lots of love. Bye. Well, I'm going to put my Polaroid of Bayana and me and Dan and Naveen away back on the shelves now. And I hope you've enjoyed this lovely chat. And I'll see you next time on Alan Cumming Shelves. Alan Cumming Shelves is hosted by me, Alan Cumming, duh, and produced by the lovely Jack Claremont. We are part of the Acast Creator Network and the Crowd Network too. We just love networks. Another Crowd Network podcast to check out is The Joe Marler Show. Joe is an England rugby player, but here's the catch. His guests are normal people doing normal jobs. He's meeting teachers, chefs, stunt women, tattoo artists, marine biologists, astronauts and soldiers. And he's asking all the questions you or I would ask. It's as simple as that. But it's also charming because everyone is interesting if you ask the right questions. Just search for The Joe Marler Show in your podcast app. Hold up. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 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 Mm